Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. It should come as no surprise that Massachusetts, the state which nurtured the most notorious cases of mass hysteria in American history, and that's the Salem witch trials of course, is also the same state currently perfecting the witch hunt against vaping. On Wednesday, the Massachusetts Public Health Council made permanent its ban on the sale of flavored vaping products and it mandated signs warning consumers of, quote, severe lung disease, close quote, to be posted at retail locations where unflavored vaping products might be sold. Massachusetts is not alone as public health bureaucrats in the state of New York voted this week to extend its ban on flavored e-cigarettes, even though the ban is currently held up in court. What's driving the vape ban mayhem and how are consumers being affected? To help us answer these questions and more is Alex Clark, CEO of CASA, the National Consumer Advocacy Organization for Smoke-Free Alternatives. Alex, thanks for joining us again here on RugWatch. Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. Well, we're in for a treat tonight as when Alex and I talk, either political forces align or they repel. And mostly that's because I usually bring up progressives and then it just goes downhill from there. So, Alex, speaking of progressives, what's going on in Massachusetts? Well, first of all, I, whenever I think of progressive, I think of moving forward, not moving backwards or moving in silly directions, um, which is exactly what's happening in Massachusetts. Um, uh, you know, I'm looking at a, a sort of a packet of all of the, the stuff that, that retailers need to be aware of, um, everybody really needs to be aware of. And since you brought it up at the beginning, this, this warning that uh, tobacco retailers are going to be required to post actually doesn't offer any clarity about what the CDC has found, uh, which is that the illicit THC cartridges um, many of them containing vitamin E acetate are what is uh, primarily driving the lung injuries. Um, just to read, um, I can read the entire thing here really quickly. Sure. Is that one control. of the is that one of the links you sent me, or do I have that? Um, I don't know if I sent that. Actually, people can look this up at mass.gov forward slash new tobacco law. Sure. Just um, shoot, shoot me I an email right now. That is. Send that to me by email right now, and we'll get it. We'll put it up. It's a funny, weird thing about you know technology, right? Yeah, I should have. I should have uh, probably. I have to separate this from another email, no um, problem. which I can do. But um, basically, this entire warning sort of pins everything on nicotine vaping, and, and it includes this warning at the end with e-cigarette aerosol can contain cancer-causing chemicals and other substances that harm the body, with no mention of potential harms of uh, THC cartridges, legal or otherwise. Uh, and, and this is a part of some breaking news, I think, over the past few hours. Um, as of today, uh, marijuana dispensaries in Massachusetts are allowed to start selling THC cartridges as long as they were manufactured after December 12th, or I guess on December 20th and after. Um, and there's, a, I guess, a new regulation about how you can't put vitamin E acetate in these cartridges. And there have to be tests for heavy metals, that's the other thing. So as Massachusetts has laid down these uh, very weird and overly restrictive uh, regulations about flavored products and, and a nicotine cap, a bizarre nicotine cap. Um, they are green lighting sales of THC oil cartridges uh, that are 
you know, I, people were using these products for for long enough before this whole thing started. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to throw any shade on on the cannabis industry, uh, but it is really just backwards that you know the products that have been primarily linked to these lung injuries are now being allowed to be sold again legally in, in Massachusetts. So and for Canadian our Canadian audience and those in the US that aren't familiar with exactly which states it's legal for cannabis in the US, Mass is one of them. Correct. Right. So yeah, we have several several states have legal marketplaces. Uh, Vermont uh, marijuana is legal, but they don't have a, a regulated marketplace. Uh, and there's several others that, that have uh, adopted rules that would allow marijuana this year. So here I've got, you can see this, and it's the same thing we're showing our audience right now, Alex. Um, and this was out a couple of days ago. So is this what you're speaking about here? Uh, or Mass just lifted its ban on vaping? What is that? No. So, yeah, this is being reported in a really weird way. Essentially, the flavor ban is in place. Um, devices and other, uh, you know, ad atomizers and tanks and stuff like that can be sold, um, but it's the only flavor you can sell is tobacco flavor. Um, and the the weird limit here is uh, if you are going to sell a product that has more than 35 milligrams per milliliter of nicotine, it has to be in an adult-only establishment. Um, I believe that may actually be. Uh, a tobacco bar. Yeah, uh, I think that's what the uh, I read the notice from uh, from the state notice on that. And that is exactly that. Yeah. Right, and 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 that is and and just so everyone is clear, um, this a tobacco bar is not a vape shop. A tobacco bar is someplace where people go and they are expected to consume the product on site. Um, so you're not buying bottles of e-liquid and taking them home with you you have to you know buy whatever you buy and vape it just really just defeats the whole purpose yeah i mean that's 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 like yeah for sure <laughs> I mean, yeah that makes no sense not at all um but then all of these rules in massachusetts are really complicated and convoluted aren't they yeah exactly i mean i'm getting confused just trying to explain it to you here <laughs> yeah well, that's quite all right. But I guess what strikes me, though, is this issue, the fact that the THC carts um, are approved for sale there. Yeah, and, and it, it seems that, you know, Massachusetts, I think, is going some distance toward protecting the legal cannabis market. Um, you know, when this, this happened, obviously, they weren't overstepping to the point of shutting down dispensaries. Uh, like they did with vape shops, um, so I I don't don't believe that they should have overstepped, uh, of course. But uh, yeah, it, it's it, it is sort of shocking that they would allow the THC cartridges to come back um, and and really not consider any of the the arguments that the very you know, credible arguments that we've all been making about how flavored vapor products, uh, you know, we deserve access to these products. Right, exactly. Well, you know, it, it's strange. Well, it's not strange because it's the part of the hypocrisy that's been going on 
but they just simply refuse to see uh, nicotine uh, vaping devices as harm reduction, as something that's got any medicinal value. But they're they're sold on the fact that cannabis has got the, its medical marijuana connection, and I mean that's you know why marijuana is legal for the most part in many of the states, including all of Canada. If it wasn't for its medicinal qualities, I don't know if we'd ever be here in this particular case. But they, there's just absolute refusal to consider nicotine being the drug that's involved as having, you know, some kind of quality to it that's beneficial. Yeah, you know, I think the other part of the story here, of course, is, you know, like you said, going through this process of making the case that cannabis can be used for, for medical purposes, uh, I think many people can have their own opinions on whether or not that was necessary. Politically, it seems to have been necessary. Uh, but once we've got to the point of green lighting, uh, you know, the, the tax and regulate marketplace, there has to be some acknowledgement here that having a, a legal regulated marketplace for cannabis and for that matter other drugs if you want to go that far uh, it, it's all about taking away the the products being sold and purchased on the black market and also the the, the social injustice that's been happening um, you know I, I I was told not to say it but uh, you know, we have this racist war on drugs in the United States, and, and there are a lot of people who deserve to be, I think, made whole after being incarcerated or jammed up in, in the legal system for whatever reason. Um, and, you know, so acknowledging all of that has been part of greenlighting cannabis sales. And it's, it's, it's just, it's amazing to me that in this day and age, lawmakers have these very thick blinders on and cannot recognize the parallels between you know certain issues and certainly there's a, a very uh, good case for a parallel between legalizing cannabis and and keeping nicotine vapor products legal yeah so we've got um we've got the story here this was uh, as you said breaking news um this is massachusetts ban on thc vape pens is over now it's over now, too. Yay. The state's ban on THC vaporizers has come to an end following a vote from the Cannabis Control Commission. And uh, I was just looking to see if there was a, a great amount of rejoicing here. So on Wednesday, we reported on the news that Massachusetts vaping ban has officially come to an end after three months. And again, this is this issue. This It's so as reporters that you'd think they'd have a big uh, duty here to be much clearer uh, than they are. Beginning Wednesday, people who use e-cigarettes to get their nicotine fixed. Now, see, that's just, that, you know, that is so, um, that's so punkish, you know, to do that. <laughs> you know, it's and very know, dismissive, yeah. Yeah, it's, well, and dismissive is a nice way. They're being punks here because they know exactly what they're doing when they choose that language. Certainly in the context of, in the next breath, they're going to be talking about THC and they're not going to be using the word fix when it comes to somebody using cannabis. You know that, right? They right. won't, right? And so they're I don't, being, I don't even think they, they don't even think they talk about it in terms of, uh, you know, people who want to get high. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, you, that was the old days, right? right? You don't get high off of marijuana. You get an effect. Right. That's, what, that's what the Canadian government calls it. When they legalize, you read all of the government uh, regulations and rules and all the, and all the forward-facing consumer um, 
copy. So across the entire country, it's tweaked a little bit differently across each province, but it's the effect. That is very uh, characteristically Canadian polite. Well, yeah, well, they don't want to say hi. What else are you going to say? Um, <laughs> let's, just, let's just make sure. I want to make sure we keep going through this. Uh, so, mm -hmm. uh, okay, so beginning Wednesday, people who use e-cigarettes to get their nicotine fix can resume buying vapes and vape products so long as they're unflavored and conform with new rules from the Department of Public Health. Now, the cops are coming to get me because they know I've got a vape here. So, all right. You're in Canada. Uh, You're I, fine. Yeah, I, well, this is my uh, studio here in downtown Vancouver, and we're right on uh, Granville and uh, Pender. And so the downtown east side is literally east by about four blocks. And that's, you know, the, the focal point of what's been the biggest, you know, hard drug heroin place in all of North America for, for many years until the United States decided that they wanted to, you know, have a run for the uh, record, <laughs> which... You can have it. So, all right, but a, but a ban on THC vapes in pot shops remained in place. So now one day later, that ban has been lifted too. So, so the way they're framing this uh, is that they had a ban on vaping products. I guess, I don't know, was it on all the, it was actually on flavors, right, for the last several months? No, in, in Massachusetts, it was on everything. It was on everything, right? Yes. So now they've come back and they've said uh, uh, vapes are okay again for nicotine. It's just they have to be unflavored vapes. And that's the first problem that I wish we could, we could just wring everyone's neck over because there's no such thing as an unflavored vape. They're referring to tobacco flavors. Uh, <coughs> so it's, it's like... It, and what, what I find so you know, pernicious about this is it's that, it's that you are so tobacco, like you are actually tobacco. You know, everything about vaping is tobacco. You're so much tobacco that you're just the regular old taste of a burning leaf is the de facto taste of your propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin. And, and so that's like the first, that's like, they, uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, how much that bothers me because there's no such thing as unflavored uh, vaping, unless you really are actually just vaping propylene glycol. But anyhow. And even that has a, a sweet taste to it. Um, right. It's not pleasant, but uh, it is possible. Right. Uh, right. The, you know, the other thing, it, since we're talking about flavors, the, another one of these cosmic ironies about the Massachusetts rules is that they're allowing menthol cigarettes to be sold until June 1st of next year. So uh, several concessions have been made to the traditional forms of revenue um, for Massachusetts. And of course, one of them being continuing the sales of menthol cigarettes, which were never banned under this, under the, the, the rules that we just went through. So let's, um, let's uh, take a moment here then and, and jump into a couple of clips that I've got for us to view. And so... So you had mentioned uh, the injustices around mm -hmm. the war on drugs. We just had um, Ethan Nadelman on, who was the founder and a longtime uh, executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance. And I'm sure you're familiar with Ethan. Yes, I am. Yeah. And you guys, I mean, I, I get the sense that, that drug policy and stuff is very much a concern for CASA. I don't know officially, but definitely it's a part of your guys' book. Was that fair to say? I, I think um, some flavor of it, if you will, is a part of our work. Um, 
you know, it, it's been, I think one of my goals has been to, uh, I think, move the conversation to, you know, nicotine is a drug, just like THC or cocaine or heroin or alcohol, and that while we're having this conversation about legalization and winding down the drug war, I think we have to include, uh, you know, nicotine in that conversation to make sure that it doesn't fully expand into a, a new front on the war on drugs. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, I, I, my heart goes out to all of these parents who are dealing with kids who are experiencing substance use issues in high school and junior high. I started experimenting with drugs when I was 13 years old. Uh, I put my parents through the ringer. I'm never going to forget that experience. Um, but when we start talking about substance use <clears throat> treatment or substance use education, I think all of the things that are applying to drug education also apply to nicotine. But there, there seems to be this disconnect that, you know, here's, here's, here's street drugs over here and then here's tobacco. And, 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 and you know, policymakers and activists have made this clear distinction between nicotine and other drugs. But I, I think that all of the lessons that, that we are now applying to substance use disorder, I, I think they're also appropriately applied to, to, to dealing with young people who are you know, habitually using vapor products or, or cigarettes or whatever um, and, and helping them, you know, change their habits and improve their lives. Yeah, I, I mean, certainly it's a drug issue. I, I've had some of our viewers recently um, actually, after uh, some comments on our piece with Ethan earlier this week, which was on Tuesday, uh, making some comments, very frustrated about the fact that there are uh, vapes out there. There's juice that come in at zero uh, milligrams, you know, so you don't need the nicotine uh, to be vaping. And so thus, you know, to totally conjoin vaping with nicotine is, is a misnomer. I've heard that for years now, and I don't, don't think it's a valid argument. For one, nobody that's in a decision-making uh, position at all even understands why somebody would vape zero nick. I mean, you know, we do, we've got people in the community who certainly do, but it's not a valid uh, way to stand up against this stuff. Public health believes that you shouldn't be putting anything inside your lungs, for those that are very radical on it. And so in the end, it, it, they, it, they can at least understand the fact that nicotine is a drug. And because they believe that it's so evil and, and, you know, as bad as heroin, that it gets claws into you and then you can never, you know, let go of it. Um, you know, it, it, they just don't even understand why somebody would be vaping them without it. Like it's just, you know, kind of lost because it is indeed a drug. Yeah, I... You know, I've, I've reflected, I did an interview back in September, and uh, the woman who I was across from uh, mentioned, she congratulated me for quitting smoking and, and said something about, and because we all know that cigarettes are evil, and I, I've, this, this whole idea that tobacco is evil, or nicotine is evil, or any of this stuff is evil, I think speaks to, you know, people's, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, people are prone to mysticism and uh, assigning magical powers to drugs. Uh, for example, the gateway myth is, is all about this, this notion that uh, a substance may have some magical ability to make you take bigger risks later on. 
I understand that there are some effects on the brain, but uh, the idea that, that someone loses their agency as soon as they start uh, t- you know, drinking alcohol or uh, smoking a cigarette and, and all of a sudden they just can't control themselves and the, the world is uh, the world of drugs is at their doorstep forcing them to do something else. Uh, that's just absurd. Um, so and, and, and like you said, you know, this stuff that we're seeing in Massachusetts, this is the result of officials and policymakers who absolutely do. They're, they're willfully ignorant about how this industry started, how the industry functions. Uh, and, and they're really they're going after the wrong people. Well, you said kind of a mystical kind of a thing, right? I mean, that yeah. is the the rhetoric around the writing on this 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 piece is the witch hunt, you know, the Salem witch trials. I mean, the mass hysterias and witch hunts and superstitions and all that stuff, they go together. Like you can't separate superstition from witch hunt. No. Yeah. And and it's it's all sort of you know, all of these things, all of the talking points that, for example, Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids puts out and the Truth Initiative, all of these groups, it, it seems like it's just easy to believe that, uh, you know, for example, th- th- this whole flavors are targeted at kids thing is that that's easy to believe. It's not remotely true, but it's very easy for people to believe. And so a, a lot of their support, it, it's it's based in you know, the rhetoric of the tobacco wars that, you know, flavors were used. There's memos talking about this and that. And, you know, at one point it may have been true for, for cigarettes, but it's, it's absolutely not true. It's never been true for, for vaping. Um, but yeah, I mean, people see or hear the name cotton candy or strawberry, and you immediately think that it's for kids, which I reject outright. I've had some delicious vapes that didn't say can't cotton candy on the bottle and tasted like cotton candy and i have strawberries on my keto waffle every day so so there <laughs> yeah so there well you know an old senator romney and his favorite unicorn poop um right. yeah look let's be honest if if we we're to believe these adults in in terms of their characterization of their kids and young people we are in serious trouble as a society if if these kids represent, you know, if they at all are as completely, totally dumb and stupid as these adults say they are, and and totally, completely captured by by a fad like juuling, and they so they can't control it. They they're, they they here. It's so funny because um, Meredith Beckman, um, in her little diatribe there to President Trump, she said in in that meeting in the Oval at the White House, she said that parents are in pain. Parents are in pain. They don't even recognize their children. What does that mean? Well, yeah, you know, I heard that as well. And um, again, drawing on my experience as a teenager and what I put my parents through, my mom always used to say, you know, I was a I was a really wonderful child until I hit 13. <laughs> and that's when I started experimenting with all of this stuff. And from 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 my perspective, based on my experience, I would say, uh, you know, parents really need to be looking into what other things their kids are experiencing uh, and, and not necessarily. This isn't limited to drugs, uh, you know, and, and you know, I don't want to make assumptions about uh, Miss Berkman uh, or any of the PAVE moms, 
Um, you know, I think a lot of people have, have put it out there that these are um, affluent uh, parents. Uh, they are very well connected politically and socially. Um, their kids are in, in really good school districts. Uh, I would say that the school districts are predominantly white. I don't have any evidence to back that up, but just I think that's a pretty safe bet. Um, and you know, this is this is sort of one of those one of those things that's overwhelmingly uh, affecting more affluent communities. These products are cheap, so uh, this is not necessarily across all socioeconomic categories here. Um, so, um, but I, I will say, you know, it, it's, it is, I, I imagine it, it would be very scary for a parent to see rapid and disturbing changes in their child and really not know what to do about it. And I think, again, this goes back to the drug war. We've been through decades of just bad education about substance use and at, at no point are I guess depending on what school district you're in, at no point are, are students being given the tools they need to support one another peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, have uncomfortable conversations about substance use, have critical conversations with adults about what they should be doing to make sure their friends are okay, make sure that they're okay, and parents are not really being given the tools other than tell your kids to say no. Just you know, lock the door, turn out the lights, and 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 everything will be fine. That's that's not how anything has ever worked in the world ever. You can't just ignore it. We have to be equipped with the right tools to have constructive, critical conversations with people who are using substances, including nicotine, and we really have to get to the root causes, which can be you know, it's a, there's there's a cornucopia of issues that people face in in high school, in middle school, and all of these can be motivating factors for going out and seeking some sort of stress relief or just relief from depression or, uh, you know, wanting to fit in, find your crowd. All of these things can motivate kids to, to trying these products and, and a small percentage of them to go on to use them for long term. So you mentioned again uh, the war on drugs. So let's use this as an opportunity to jump into a couple of these clips. So Ethan Nadelman, he um, was speaking this in this first clip Basically, in terms of setup, he had just talked about how um, the Drug Policy Alliance and those who, and lots of people, right, of course, and lots of organizations had spent considerable time, decades, fighting this war on drugs, which was a highly moral orientated, I mean, we all remember um, Nancy Reagan and uh, the neoconservative uh, position of the 1980s and war on drugs, just say no, right, war on drugs. Um, and how um, these groups, uh, you know, achieved a lot of success. And you can argue uh, how much or not, but some definitely success on needle exchange and definitely success on marijuana. And then, of course, there's been um, some changes that have happened in, in the U.S. with regards to um, some easing up on some drug-related offenses. So he, he, explained that, he explained that, and then he jumps in to vaping. Once you start banning things, you know, which I mean, that's what we're doing now. When you start banning things and making it illegal to possess or to sell or whatever these things, inevitably you have to start enforcing those bans, which means that inevitably the police start to get involved and inevitably the prosecutors start to get involved. And so I think it's a decent chance that we're going to see people 
not just getting arrested, but even going to jail for violating the laws against vaping. You're going to see people, you know, who essentially are trying to protect their health to, to, in, in a harm reduction way that's proven by science, by switching from smoking to vaping, you're going to see those people and the people who supply them and market to them being arrested. And I have to tell you, it reminds me of what happened with needle exchange, where people who were trying to distribute sterile syringes to use the spread of HIV, you know, among injecting drug users, were being, were being arrested and incarcerated and prosecuted. I mean, it, it is from both a public health perspective and a moral perspective, absolutely horrific. Absolutely horrific. Yep. So I think that sums it up pretty well. And of course, Massachusetts, I think, will be the first place that I think we probably already saw. I've already heard of people being harassed shortly after the, uh, the, the ban was, was implemented. So describe that for us from what you've heard. Um, I, I think this was probably more of a um, you know, potential Me Too moment for the person I heard this from. Um, but she was uh, approached by, uh, I believe, a Massachusetts state trooper uh, who saw her vaping and, and said he, of course, did not understand the law, but I think threatened to arrest her or fine her for possessing a flavored vapor product. Um, and, you know, the Massachusetts law and, of course, these regulations that were, were recently adopted goes further than just banning flavored vapes as we know it. It also prohibits the sale and possession of flavor enhancers, which I think, you know, I have certainly understood that to mean that, um, you know, DIY supplies, uh, possession of DIY supplies is, is illegal in Massachusetts. And so, it, you know, somebody who's seen vaping in public, if you've got an overly vicious police officer uh, who, you know, for whatever reason wants to approach them and give them trouble, um, if they are in possession of, I don't know, if they are walking back from getting some DIY supplies or whatever, um, they, could, they could find themselves in some sort of legal trouble. So um, where are you from, Alex? I mean, you're not looking for hometowns or anything, but what state are you from? Uh, I live in New York, okay. not New York City. Not New York City. So um, having some idea here, when I frame this, and, and don't you forget, and I'm sure our viewers won't let me forget either, and we won't, we won't forget California. The reason why we're not talking about California is because they're just crazy. <laughs> so I didn't, I wanted to have some framework and Massachusetts certainly gave us that. What do you think it is about the folks in mass? Because I mean, regardless, I mean, it, it's progressive. I mean, they've got a particular kind of approach to things and, and why, why, why so, you know, illiberal when it comes to vaping? Well, it's, I think it's hard for me to put my finger on it. I, I am not from Massachusetts. This is the closest to New England I think I've ever lived. Um, some might say where I am in New York is, it might as well be part of New, New England. Um, you know, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of Boston sports team fans around here. Um, so, uh, but I think generally Massachusetts, of course, has this Puritan history. And I think their approach to this is simply based on a moral crusade. Uh, it, it's not, they are not taking a critical look at the numbers. And, and um, again, I, I think this falls back to the, the mysticism and, and people's uh, tendency to just accept things that, is, that are easy to believe. 
Um, that being, a, I think, a driver of why people are not really investigating or, or taking a critical look at what uh, what the numbers actually tell us about young people using these products. Um, and it's, you know, it leads to, to bad policymaking. Um, I, I don't necessarily know if, uh, you know, maybe given the, the culture in Massachusetts, um, looking like you're tough on crime or tough on tobacco or tough on other drugs that are not socially acceptable other than cannabis, um, if that wins you votes or campaign donations, I'm not really sure. Um, so, you know, really, I think all I have to rely on is that Massachusetts prides itself at being of the forefront of tobacco control. Um, much like places in California, um, it really, you know, we're, we're bookended in this country by two states that have gone sort of, you know, by municipality by municipality enacting these policies in waves. First, they started with banning vaping indoors, and then they moved on to uh, raising the age to 21, other sales restrictions. Several municipalities throughout Massachusetts have already had, they already have their own flavor regulations in place. Uh, limiting sales to adult-only uh, establishments, and so on. Um, so it really is sort of this, it's it's almost a race to the bottom, if you will, in terms of, of quality policy. Right. So with regard to mass, um, so when, the, when they banned everything, so just fill us in, for, because there are so many bans that were happening, and it forced a lot of people to really focus on their own local neighborhoods and their own you know counties and stuff like that and cities that they're in and then of course i'm up in canada so it's tough because we try have to take a national view and then we've got mm -hmm. canada to worry about too so when mass went um with the original ban did all the stores have to shut down like was that it yeah immediately the the, the ban took effect um there was no warning given to retailers uh i, I think People heard the news, and within four hours, shops like state police were showing up at at vape shops. Unbelievable! Yeah, yeah. it's it's outrageous. So the, I mean, so the industry has been devastated there. Pretty much, um, there is actually there's a really interesting story that came out uh, yesterday or today, and it's uh, I guess it was after the announcement that. Uh, the, the ban is, is lifted, which is not true at all, right. really. Um, but there was a, it's a couple people that own a vape shop um, in Brockton, and uh, they will be reopening. And, of course, they can sell the devices and so on. Um, and, but now they have to change their, their, their business model to include selling combustible and other tobacco products. Uh, so that they can they can keep their doors open and and something really important to remember is that you know a lot of these a lot of these retailers they signed leases three five years however long a, a commercial lease is where you are and a lot of people didn't necessarily get clauses worked into their contracts that say if the government destroys the industry I can get out of this lease with no penalty um, so a lot of these people are stuck I mean not only are they being uh, you know financially hurt because they can't sell their products anymore but they're also saddled with with a contract with a landlord that's thousands of dollars a month um so of course people have to make adjustments there's another shop featured in this article that's going to be um selling uh i don't want to say paraphernalia but uh selling devices and equipment for uh smoking cannabis uh and of course they could probably sell the batteries to be used for the uh, thc cartridges as well um, and for anybody who's interested, the title of the article is 
Brockton area vape businesses open doors after statewide ban ends, and that's in the enterprise. Um, pretty interesting look at, at you know how people have had to adapt to the new rules. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I'll I'll look for that uh, too as well. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I didn't type it in. Uh, vape ban, a death sentence for Brockton area vape shops. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I'll find that for sure. You know, I, I the joke is, of course, is that all the ancillary businesses that are going to, you know, start up. I mean, when are we going to see the first vape shop, but with only tobacco flavors, your your actual combustibles with like sex shop toys and stuff like that next. I mean, it's going to it could revert the, the small places that are left will revert back to that kind of variety triple um, X kind of thing. Sure. I, I mean, we've seen, I, well, I was about to say that, you know, CBD is is certainly a model that, that people have adopted. I think it was about a year ago that I found out that there were CBD only stores in certain parts of the country, uh, which I thought was kind of amazing. I didn't think that you would be able to sustain a business that way. Um, so I think you'll see a lot of people converting to selling CBD, which that's got its own issues. Um, and, and the FDA is, is I think, going to be cracking down on that. They, they already are. Um, so, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of risk for anybody trying to keep the doors open and continue paying the, the rent on their commercial space in Massachusetts. Um, I mean, a hybrid tobacco and sex shop sounds fine with me. And, and I, I encourage everyone in Massachusetts to uh, buck the, the uh, Puritan uh, uh threads woven into the culture of Massachusetts and uh, go ahead and open your, your combination cigarette and section. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> here, here to that <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah. I, well, the, the things that I can say, I mean, even though this is the internet, there's things that I can't say on the internet that I want to say about these people. And I do, I refer to them as these people because they are these people. Um, so based on the fact that the cops showed up, um, and we're shutting down stores. Um, it obviously what Ethan is talking about in terms of the potential of this turning into a real drug war um, is for certain. I've got one more quick clip that I want to play from him that uh, that we, I want us to listen to. And, and I mean, his the message here is not cheery. I would say there's no cheer involved. So this really, truly is a war on vaping. Well, I mean, I tell you, when people ask me why I'm involved, the first reason I gave you before was because of this growing disparity between what the scientific evidence says on the one hand and what the public opinion and the politicians believe and do on the other. But the other reason is I think there's a decent possibility that we could be witnessing the beginnings of the first great drug war of the 21st century. And it's going to be a drug war that is going to start off with uh, e-cigarettes, and then it's going to turn to cigarettes themselves. And I mean, mind you, there's a lot more rationale for banning cigarettes than there is e-cigarettes. But let's not forget, I mean, I even tell this to some of my allies in the tobacco harm reduction world who think that, God, if we could only get the percent of Americans who smoke down from 13% today down to 5% or 4% and we should just ban cigarettes or ban cigarettes with nicotine in them. And what I remind them is that the entire war on drugs 
right? I mean, apart from the marijuana piece, which is about arrest, but if you look at the mass incarceration, if you look at the horrifically violent drug wars in Latin America and the Caribbean, now parts of Africa, Asia, what have you, if you look at the massive violation of human rights, all of that involves barely 2% of the U.S. population being deeply involved in the consumption of heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, and drugs like that, right? But keep that in mind. Even if cigarette smoking goes down dramatically in this country to under 5%, if we make it fully illegal, you're talking about creating a global black market that will rapidly be worth many hundreds of billions of dollars. You're talking about tobacco traficantes replacing the narco traficantes. You're talking about police agencies and dedicated you know, tobacco enforcement agencies. You're talking about widespread drug testing in our society. You're talking about demonization and stigmatization of people. You're talking about parents having their kids ripped away from them at birth or, or young kids because they smoke cigarettes in the house. I mean, you're talking about that's what we had in the illicit drug area. And it was a horrific and remains a horrific violation of human rights in our own in the United States and still to some extent in your country, in Canada and around the world. We're looking at that being a real possibility because wars on drugs feed so many interests. They feed the media interest. They feed our need to have a boogeyman and to stigmatize and demonize others. They, as the as the class composition, as the as a as the class of people who consume these drugs gets lower and lower, relatively speaking, the, the willingness of the rest of society to demonize them and persecute and prosecute them becomes ever greater, right? Because they're no longer, quote unquote, our people. So I think we're, this is a real possibility. And I'll be damned if I devoted, you know, the last 30 years of my life in part to legalizing marijuana and trying to end the war on other illicit drugs, only to be, you know, stepping down now and witnessing the emergence of a great big new drug war, which would do as much or more harm than those other ones did in the last century. So basically, uh, it could be uh, the war on nicotine, essentially, could be the 21st century's drug war. Yeah. And um, I, I think I, I might have a, a slightly different view uh, of of Ethan's take on on sort of the timeline, um, I think that you know the first places that we're going to see the real injustices against people is going to be with menthol. Um, I, I know it sounds a lot like you know whenever this issue is brought up to to city councils, um, they are all very sensitive, of course, about events like Eric Gardner in uh, New York City. Um, but the you know menthol cigarettes are very popular with the African American community um, and, and and other uh, minority groups in the United States. And what he was talking about there, this concept of, of being able to separate people who smoke or, or people who use drugs or people who who use nicotine as as sort of an other, I, I think it, it's it there's there's a lot more possibility there for for minority groups to be targeted as as part of these. Uh, new laws prohibiting menthol and prohibiting flavored vapor products. Now, the, the vapor product is a bit different, as I mentioned. Um, you know, th these products are expensive. They're not very popular in in minority groups uh, among low-income people. Um, and so, it, the the I think the, sort of the traditional targets for this racist, classist war on drugs, uh, vaping isn't as popular among those folks. Uh, as it is among the more white affluent communities, um, and and so I, I think, just like what we saw with the, with the drug war, 
that's still happening. Um, you know, inner city black people use marijuana at the same rate as, as white folks in the suburbs, but because of the uh, geography, because of, uh, you know, the, the, the culture in the city, most things happen outdoors on the, on the corner. Those people become the targets of law enforcement a lot easier than the white guy sitting in his pajamas selling weed on his couch. Uh, and so it, it, I think the you know, very similar concepts apply here. Um, and so that, that's why I think that we would see it first in, in cases where menthol has been banned. Um, and, we, you know, I, I can't refer to any numbers, but I believe Oakland, uh, California has actually seen, um, you know, a, a huge black market takeover where, where menthol cigarettes are, are banned. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, this is this is ripe for injustice. Sure. And Alex, there's good, there's a large part of our audience, I know, and definitely a large part of the United States because they and, and I there's a name for them and they're called deplorables. And mm -hmm. they believe that there's a war on white people going on by leftist progressives, which would be the, the tobacco control. I mean, there's no separation from look, the social justice warriors that are screaming racist at white people. Um, are uh, shiny suit progressives. They're shiny suit social justice warriors. So they're, they're, they're targeting, I believe, part of the thing about vaping is, is that they're targeting, they're targeting something that majority of uh, white people do, and that is vaping. I think the disgust that they've got for tobacco is easily transferred to the vapor um, because it's not a minority issue. I think if a lot of minorities were vaping, I don't know if we'd necessarily see the same kind of reaction that we're seeing. Yeah, and I mean, typically in minority communities, these are these are groups of people who can't necessarily afford to go to a party with Michael Bloomberg. Um, they are they are not they're not financially. They just don't have the means to be represented the way that that rich suburban housewives are. Um, so, absolutely, I I I think it may have less to do with the color of someone's skin and more to do with their financial means. Um, but yeah, I think it's reasonable to say that if this, if vaping was predominantly limited to um, people who were lower income, um, I, I don't think we would be experiencing the hysteria that we're seeing now. Um, of course, it would only be a matter of time. You know, it's kind of like crack cocaine. Crack didn't become a big issue until white people started being affected by it. Right. Um, so I, I think it, it, I, I think that it, it's amazing. They can do the math on something like that and come to that conclusion, but they can't do the math on how banning these products is going to fuel a massive black market. And I mean, isn't that happening right now to some degree as well with the opioid crisis is that it hasn't quite yet come out of the class, you know, up into the upper classes? Well, I, I don't know the numbers. And and I have to say, you know, the opioid issue is not necessarily my issue area, but, um, you know, a lot of this, um, I, I think people certainly have made the, the argument that um, overprescribing of opioids has led to the epidemic that we have. I look at it a bit differently in that, um, you know, people who went in for, you know, surgeries and were prescribed opioids for, for pain management afterwards or, um, you know, any, any kind of pain issue that opioids would be prescribed for. And when they were supposed to end their prescription, they weren't being given appropriate information or counseling in order to get through that process. Because I, I, I do believe it is a process. I have never been a fan of opioids. My drugs of choice were uh, alcohol and, and 
things that make you feel a little happy. Um, I, I do not like the downtown train. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I've never had Sounds to like you and I off. rode the same train. Yeah, probably. Um, so I, 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 I've never had to deal with coming off of opioids. I was actually prescribed Voc Vicodin for uh, having a tooth pulled a few years ago. I think I took two of them and was sort of done with it. I just don't like the way they make me feel. Um, again, no magical power to opioids. Um, I, I think it, it really is people who have been using these products for long term with a, sort of an end date in mind. They were just not treated properly around the time that they were supposed to stop that 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 pain management strategy. Um, and, and I think, again, it's just a, a failure, I think, of um, you know doctors and, and, and medical professionals to update what we know about substance use treatment. Um, and yeah, so it, no, it, that's, it, op opioids really, you know, being becoming de chemically dependent on a substance does not necessarily discriminate based on your paycheck. Um, so I, I think that, uh, you know, it really is actually, again, this is probably a bit more consistent, you know, the, the, the idea that these drugs that people are getting from people in white lab coats, folks that we're supposed to be able to trust, um, and of course, people who can afford to buy these prescription medications, um, when all of these thousands of people started having problems with coming off of these drugs, then it became an issue. But heroin's been around for, you know, centuries. Um, especially, you know, the fentanyl issue has been around for well over a decade. When I was in, when I was in rehab, in 2006, uh, several hundred people in Philadelphia died because they used heroin that was laced with fentanyl. We didn't hear about fentanyl, I don't think, in, in the mass media for several years later. Every time I heard a story about it a few years later, I thought, how are we just learning about this now? This has been going on. There was, there was a crisis in Philadelphia at one point, and, and nobody seemed to care about it. Right. Um, maybe that has to do with the fact that it's Philadelphia. Sorry, Philly. Yeah, sorry, Philly. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a mess everywhere. And and that just points to that there's a lot of bigger problems, I think, that public health should be paying attention to, which they're not, um, as opposed to vaping. It's insane. So let's let's just uh, close on Massachusetts with one final thought. I mean, what can happen there? You know, is this it? Like what's Kassaw doing? Well, at the moment, there's not much to be done uh, except for, you know, for our part in this, um, you know, we, we continue to engage where we can um, in terms of, you know, getting people activated. The more consumers that we have in among our ranks, um, the, the, the bigger, the louder the response that we can mount. Um, and this is true for any state uh, across the country. We just we need more and more people to respond when you get that message from us. Um, other strategies, I am not aware of the status of any lawsuits in Massachusetts. That is certainly an approach that the industry is able to take. Um, and one of the reasons why I think we're all deferring to the industry for lawsuits is number one, they can afford it. And number two, the judge can actually look at them and say, oh yeah, that there is actually a, a financial, uh, there are financial damages here that, that are, are quantifiable and that, that gives you standing in a lawsuit. Uh, unlike consumers who, you know, for some reason, even though we are the primary stakeholders in all of this, um, judges typically do not 
uh, acknowledge us as a stakeholder. Um, and then, of course, there is, uh, I expect there to be an effort to work through the legislature to fix this. Um, of course, you know, the worst parts of this, this regulation and the law um, take effect immediately. Uh, and that's not, that's not going to do much to protect people who have businesses in Massachusetts and certainly do a lot of harm to people who rely on those businesses for smoke-free products. Um, but there's still six months uh, in which people can work to advance some legislation to fix the worst parts of this. And, you know, we're going to have fourth quarter data coming out about, you know, sales of cigarettes. We already know that they're going back up. Uh, and it's not just because of, you know, Massachusetts's policies, but uh, I, I think if, if anybody can sort of zero in on, on cigarette sales in the state, you'll see a pretty noticeable increase in, in cigarette sales. Uh, also, because of the, the panic and hysteria about the lung injuries, a lot of people have, have given up vaping and gone back to smoking. Uh, I think a, a noticeable amount of people, especially anybody who's switched to vaping in the past year or two, um, who is still kind of fresh and, and maybe researching, um, you know, any potential risks associated with using a smoke-free product. These are folks who were not um, not convinced. They're not, you know, not folks like me who've dedicated their 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 life and time to to advocating for access. Um, and so I think they would be very easily scared into going back to smoking. Yes. Um, so it, it's going to take a whole lot of harm, actually. I think before officials look at this and say, okay, maybe we made a mistake. The um, there's uh, somebody said this to me today in with regard to Canada, and I'm sure it'd be the same in the U.S. The vape shop owner um, basically pleading for help, some kind of communications help to reach the public because you know breaking through you know the propaganda is just insurmountable, and and this plea and the plea was we have to get the information to the adults, and and they were basically talking about the you know, the 50-year-olds and the 60-year-olds and stuff that have just, you know, scurried, you know, scurried away, scurried, oh, God, whatever that word scurried, is. Scurried, scurried away. Thank you, yeah, scurried away. Um, yeah, because I guess there's some, you know, they've seen that some of the younger people, I, maybe the more cloud-orientated kind of people is I, is what I assume is is he was getting at. But it's just like, where are the adults? You know, the adults have been scared away. And... Um, that's the big worry. Yeah, um, you know, it really is. It's it's folks, I'd say, you know, thirty five and up who, uh, you know, folks who were were smoking for ten years or more, and and even even people who, you know, we, I, I have to say, you know, I've gotten emails from people who are, um, on just turning eighteen. And they say, you know, I was smoking for three years and vaping was the only thing that helped me quit. So I, I don't necessarily think it's limited to adults. Um, I, I think, you know, there's that very uncomfortable story about students who are um, experimenting with products. They go on to use them habitually and they try everything to quit before they get into their 20s. And, and products like vaping uh, are the only things that help them. Their stories are just as important as the 50-year-old who smoked for, you know, 35 years and, and after hypnosis and patches and gums, finally vaping worked for them. So um, I, I, I sort of agree. I, I think it's great to have parents and grandparents get up in front of city councils and, and talk, you know, reality about 
um, how quitting smoking by switching to a smoke-free product has improved their lives and improved the lives of their children. And, and children are grateful that mom and dad don't smoke anymore or that grandma no, doesn't smell like an ashtray. Um, all of those stories are important, but I, I think it's, it's really, it's all ages here. I mean, the really uncomfortable part of this conversation is that there's, you know, there's a 13 year old just like me who is stealing a pack of cigarettes right now or bumming a cigarette off of a friend. Um, and, you know, they're going to parties, they're doing all of these risky things. Their stories uh, are just as important. And I think, you know, I, I don't, I can't put myself in the shoes of a student right now, but um, I, I would hope that at least some of the older students look at all of the stuff that's going on and, and, and have at least that little bit of wisdom you get by the time you're 18 years old to turn around to their peers and say, guys, we're being lied to. There's a better way to understand drugs. There's a better way to understand tobacco and alcohol. And, and we're just not being, we're not being served properly by all of this hysteria and panic. And I think most kids actually look at Truth Initiative materials and think it's absolute garbage. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah, involve <laughs> the adults, but we can't discount the stories of the young people and especially the young adults. No, I mean, I do hear you. I do hear you for sure on that. So um, we're going to get to some of the other states right now and, and jump through that. Uh, before we do, I want to remind our viewers that, of course, we are supported by you. We are fan funded, if fan is the right word. We cover regulations. It can't be fan. But uh, if you can, please go to support.regulatorwatch.com and take a look around. Uh, there'll be some updating, of course, over uh, Christmas holiday I've still got our DC rally here, but you know, the picture looks, you know, so good. So I've just left it, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It was good to be there in DC. So I'll have to figure out what we're going to do for our call to action for the new year. So of course, um, these are our supporters, uh, great anchor supporters, demand vape and flavor art and our brands and our other brand supporters who are killing it for us too. divine just came on, uh, in Canada. Mike over at Divine in the group there, fantastic. You guys, if I mean, I'm sure you, there's U.S. vapes that are using Divine Labs, but let me just tell you right now, they're they're every single bit of juice in Canada has got something from Divine in it. I'm sure, <laughs> at least all the ones that I've got. So anyhow, if you guys get a chance, please do uh, go to the site. Uh, even ten bucks, you know, helps. Of course, if you're an American, we want your greenbacks because they really, really help. We love. Americans. So that's support.regulatorwatch.com. Dig in your wallet, find a few dollars, toss them our way. You'll be so happy you did it and we'll be happy too. All right. So um, let's just go. We're going to actually go on your suggestion um, here, Alex, to campaign for tobacco free kids, our favorite source for information. <laughs> so this, uh, I, uh, regrettably. Yeah. Regrettably. I, I, I hate the fact that, you know, we, we have. Um, so we have 50 state uh, pages on, on our website, and and there's a lot of you know a lot of sources are like this. They have you know very comprehensively put together these laws, and um, I, I hate citing them as a reference, but there you go. Well, no, yeah, fair enough. But you know, bands are their business. So if you want a list of the bands, you know, I mean, why not? I mean, we've used we've. You you know when you know when this group is actually uh, describing something that is truthful that I mean like that appears truthful, then you know you can trust it, right? That's you can all, you know, 
it's one of those things. It's like Wikipedia. If you're if you're a good Wikipedia reader, you know what's good and what's not, right? So, but anyhow, so let's take a look at this. So there's Mass. So there's Massachusetts. There's Michigan, Montana, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, Utah, and Washington. Mm -hmm. So what can we say? We've done Mass. So let's just run through these real quick. What can you say about Michigan? Um, so actually, we can cross off a few of these really quickly. Um, okay. Michigan, uh, the uh, flavor ban there was blocked by the court. Um, in Montana, the flavor ban there was also blocked by the court. Um, and Oregon, uh, the flavor ban was blocked by the court. Um, and the kind of outlier in the states where things have been blocked is Utah. Um, the Utah rule was pretty interesting. Um, and, and it's it's a bit confusing, not as confusing as Massachusetts, but uh, the Utah law was going to restrict sales of flavored vapor products to um, tobacco specialty shops, I believe, um, which does not actually include vape shops or it, it, it's the problem was that a lot of vape retailers were not required to get this particular license. And so when the flavor ban was enacted there, all of these shops would have been affected by it and had to shut down. So the state had to go back and the, the Utah Department of Health uh, had to change the rule. Um, and uh, there were some people who were very happy about it, but they just didn't really understand what it meant. So uh, the, the Department of Health is in the process of drafting a new rule as of November 1st. And uh, I don't know if a public comment period is open yet or if the new language is posted. Um, but so they're still in, in the process of refining their regulations, which may or may not be a flavor ban. So when you um, say, when you, and just one sec, so when you, uh, before we go on to something else, when you say uh, Michigan, Montana, and Oregon are blocked, are they mm -hmm. blocked like New York is blocked, or are they blocked as in they can't move forward? Uh, blocked as a result of a court case, yeah. So it's, uh, it, it's, in New York, they said the temporary restraining order, I don't exactly know if that's the same language they use in these other states, but I assume it's effectively the same thing. So they're blocked right now, but they could still, that could be overturned. Um, I think, I can't remember if Michigan, um, a lot of this had to do with whether or not uh, the, the court agreed that the governor had the authority to uh, right. enact this by executive order. And right. in the case of Washington state, um, it, it, the flavor ban there is effective. Uh, and uh, it uh, the, the court ruled that that Jay Inslee had the authority to the governor had the had the authority to do this. Um, as far as I know, researching some articles quickly before we came on, um, the next court hearing in that case is in February. Okay, all right. And then um, and then did you mention Rhode Island? I didn't, but there's a fun fact about Rhode Island. <laughs> okay, <laughs> since since we pointed out how. Um, you know, the people promoting the bands have that, that air of credibility. Um, what they have written there on their sheet is that the ban lasts for six months. Uh, this is a minor detail. In reality, the ban is, is effective for four months. And then at the end of that period, they have the option to renew it for uh, an additional 60 days. Um, but it seems that uh, Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids uh, has either jumped to the conclusion that it will last for six months um, or they're just trying to convince people of how successful they are. Right. Which, you know, okay, fair enough. So 
All right. Well, they're corrupt liars, but that's, that should come as no surprise. Um, so what about California? I mean, we, they've got a lot of California here. Is I guess that's because they don't have a state initiative that they've been able to, you know, get win there with, which is kind of surprising, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, you know, what, what's been happening in California over the past several years, and if you count tobacco, if you count cigarettes, um, you know, well over a decade, uh, is this sort of patchwork of regulations. Uh, you know, geographically, I can't tell you where all of these are. I think there's a pretty high concentration in the Bay Area. Um, but basically what they do is they create this patchwork of regulation across the state, and that helps them when they go uh, to Sacramento during legislative sessions say, hey, guys, we need to come up with some sort of uniform policy to make sure that these tobacco laws are effective. Right. Um, and so uh, it's not, I, I cannot, I don't know anybody who's familiar with all of these um, cities and their ordinances, um, but among this group here, uh, the rules are different. You can see the bolded cities there, the places where menthol is restricted. Um, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's different from municipality to municipality. Some of these are restricting sales to adult-only establishments, um, and others are, are banning flavors altogether. Well, and California is truly an, uh, an epicenter of the entire tobacco control battle. You know, I well, I think Massachusetts and, and California are competing. The way that I really? heard it is a lot of these initiatives had actually started in Massachusetts um, back, you know, during the tobacco wars. Um, California, I think, just sort of gave it the Hollywood touch. I did not. I didn't know that. I can't even. T I can't tell you that it's a hundred percent sure, but I did hear that from a uh, government relations person who works for a tobacco company. So, <laughs> well, you can. They know who the enemy is. There's no doubt. It, yeah. it, this. It's just so weary. Um, you know, I'm going to put it on you for a second here. Let me. Uh, let me just get you to. Um, Give us just a couple of words about what you know about what's going on in Washington. Just with the actual, I mean, obviously, you know, everything's closed. Is that is that what's happened there? In Washington State? Yeah. Um, I, unfortunately, I, I can't say that I'm totally clear on what's going on. Um, if you can't sell flavored products, you can't sell flavored products. If 80 to 90% of your business is selling flavored e-liquids, then I imagine that a lot of shops are facing being closed. Now, um, you know, I talked to my local brick and mortar shop guy and he, you know, in anticipation for this, set aside money to um, make sure that he could last for several months. Um, so I, I, I don't know how many people in other states uh, have done something so that they could keep their doors open and try to try to wait out a, a temporary ban, um, still making at least a little bit of income off of selling devices and tobacco flavors. Um, but yeah, by and large, uh, I, I imagine that, that things in Washington are pretty dire. Yeah, yeah. So what's up? Because this is going to be pretty much, uh, we've got just a few episodes left uh, before the Christmas break which pretty much starts for us at Red Watch a week Friday. So um, we're going to get a couple of pieces in next week uh, on Canada. We've got Dr. Mark Tyndall coming on, which is going to be really good. And I encourage any of our U.S. viewers to be tuning in to these interviews too as well. 
um, because there's a lot to be taken out of it. Um, he's huge in harm reduction. In fact, Dr. Tyndall is responsible for the very first safe injection site uh, in all of North America. So, and he's a huge supporter of vaping as a tool for harm reduction and uh, has been fighting the battle. And boy, you know, it's bruising up here because we've got a national broadcaster that's actually against uh, the industry too as well. So, but you know, there you go. Um, yeah, so you really are our last of our kind of uh, what's going on in the US by states level as opposed to a couple of more higher level things we're gonna have before Christmas. So what do you see for 2020? Um, do you see the Trump ban coming back? Uh, is that fully to bed? Um, what's 2020 going to look like in the U.S., do you think? <laughs> and, oh, well, by the way, let me get on the phone with my stockbroker first, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, the, the obvious point to make is that, you know, we, we're, we are all staring down the barrel of May of next year. Um, it is not clear how the FDA is going to enforce the PMTA deadline for manufacturers. Um, and it's not clear what's going to be left of the industry uh, over the next six months. Um, actually, well, five, is it five and a half months? Um, so it, it, it's, I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty difficult to make predictions um, as to what the market's going to look like. Uh, in terms of legislation, uh, states are, you know, any of these states that came out and said, actually, I mean, I have a list of, you know, all the states that have tried uh, and or otherwise been successful in enacting flavor bans, and then others who we've heard rumblings from. So obviously, California, um, there was some news out of Colorado that I believe there's not much appetite for banning flavors uh, through the legislature, um, which is good news. Um, Connecticut is looking for stuff in the legislature. Um, I believe Florida is okay. I might be a little bit wrong about that, but there are bills introduced. Uh, there's some pre-file stuff out there. Um, Georgia's looking at some stuff. Uh, not surprisingly, around Atlanta, um, Illinois, Kentucky had a pre-filed bill that, that showed up today. Um, Illinois, of course, um, Louisiana, the governor needs to be educated about that. Uh, I'm working on something right now uh, in sort of coordinating with, with LAVA, the, the industry group down there, um, to put together an education campaign for the governor so that he better understands the product before making ridiculous regula regulations like uh, Massachusetts. Um, Maryland, uh, just mentioned Massachusetts, Michigan. Uh, Missouri, we even heard some rumblings about flavor bans there. Uh, Montana's already on the list. Um, didn't hear anything from New Hampshire, but it's on my list anyway. Uh, <laughs> New Jersey is another year after year, New Jersey has tried to ban flavors. Uh, and, and now they, they may have a bit more traction through the legislature. Um, Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, Texas has seen some local issues pop up. Um, Vermont, on the other hand, it's on my list, but Governor Scott deferred to uh, federal officials on that one. Um, good move for any governor, honestly. Um, 
There were even some rumblings in Virginia. I think that's been nipped in the bud. Um, West Virginia, uh, some flare-ups there. And Kentucky and West Virginia, by the way, sort of trade places for who has the highest um, smoking population in the country. Um, I've always thought that uh, you know West Virginia would actually be the best state to fully deploy a harm reduction strategy for smoking, um, and, and and really I think see things turn around. And especially I mean, West Virginia is a very poor state, um, and uh, you know could certainly use access to affordable alternatives. Um, so that's that's my running list of states where we've seen local issues pop up, pre-filed bills pop up, and other states like New Jersey who just have a history of introducing nonsense. Wow. Wow. And then, and, 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 then, and you know, of course, not to be outdone, um, we have Representative Frank Pallone from New Jersey uh, who is running uh, H.R. 2339. Uh, I forget the title of it, Protect Kids from Horrible Things Act of 2019. <laughs> Um, and uh, this has several things. There's a much bigger timeline here. Uh, you can, some of these things are two years, some of these things are three years. Uh, for example, uh, mandating that the FDA promulgate a rule banning flavors. Um, they would ban online sales, raise the age to 21. Basically, sort of everything in the kitchen sink you could throw at vaping is in HR 2339. Um, and there's also uh, Rosa Delora's. Um, uh, it's not really an online sales ban, but it will make vape mail basically impossible right. um, as we know it. You can still get it through uh, UPS, I think, is the one company that reliably has signature on delivery. Um, when I get signature only stuff, it comes through UPS. Um, and so just so people understand what this means for how vape mail could change. Um, I buy Swedish snus, and I buy it from Sweden because the good stuff isn't sold in the United States, with the exception of maybe Swedish match stuff. Um, and uh, every time I order, I'm paying thirty to forty dollars for shipping because it has to be sent. What coming from overseas doesn't help, but the signature on delivery is an added cost, and it makes up most of that shipping charge. So. If you want, if you depend on online sales to get your products, and you want to pay fifteen to twenty dollars extra every time you order, then by all means, let Rosa Dolores' bill go unscathed. Um, but if you, you know, don't have access to a vape shop and would like to get your stuff through the mail, we have an engagement up about that as well. So, so and that's Congress really the key thing. Go to go to uh, which was in your uh, name key. Uh, the whole mm -hmm. time and sign up for the these activation emails is what they are right yeah really the 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 easiest thing for anybody to do is visit august8th.org and it's august8 the number th.org and uh, that will take you to sort of the most um, relevant federal engagement that we have and right now that's that's focused on uh, both really this started as this went up uh, I think September 10th, um, right before the Trump announcement and um, before a lot of these other bills started getting traction in, in Congress. Um, so right now it's it's sort of geared toward Frank Pallone's bill, um, but it really is intended as a general kind of engagement. There's, I, I think, a, a dozen or more vaping-related bills in Congress right now, um, but only two of them are, are really gaining steam um, so it taking action through that engagement, you'll get, you automatically become a, a member. That's, that's, that's the magic here.
that you just take action and you are officially a Kassam member. Absolutely for free. Got to be action, man. That's the thing. If there's one thing to learn from tobacco control is action is key. Yeah. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us uh, tonight here on RugWatch. Just stand by right there and I'll catch you uh, before we go. So that is it, everybody, for this edition of RegWatch. Make sure you go to support.regulatorwatch.com, dig in your wallet, find a few dollars, kick them over to us. You'll be happy if you did that. And I say that quickly only because I want to hurry you along to go do that. And while you're online, make sure you like us on Facebook. And don't forget to follow us on, tw on Twitter. For RegulatorWatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford. Vape them if you got them.